Uh, but this series is all about things that Mama always said. And so we're going to be looking at that starting today for the next few weeks. You ever see that movie, Forrest Gump? You ever, you ever go watch that movie? Yeah, it's, it's, one, it's really an awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, it's great. Uh, Forrest is always talking about what his mom said. He learned the most in life from his mom. And we all learn a lot from our moms. And so in honor of Mother's Day, we're just going to be doing this series. Mom is a very influential person in our lives. And so we're looking at some of these things that Mama said. And we're going to pull biblical principles out of what she says. And, and one of my favorite ones, one of the ones that you all know and love, is that Mama always said... Life is like a box of chocolates because... That's right. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. Isn't that true in life? You never really know for sure what you're going to get. I mean, sometimes you get good things, right? I mean, sometimes you find a $20 bill in the dryer, right? And you don't tell the kids. I mean, yeah, you just find a $20 bill in the dryer. That's a good thing, right? But sometimes you get a letter from the IRS, And they say, oh, by the way, you made a mistake on your return and you owe us much, much, much more than you thought you did. Anybody relate to that one? Okay, no one's admitting it out loud. I understand. Uh, Sometimes those things, the good things are really good. Sometimes the bad things are really bad. In fact, sometimes the bad things that we get that we don't expect, they're a little bit more than we can handle sometimes aren't they? Sometimes we get these unexpected events in our lives and they're so bad they just kind of throw us for a loop. And and, and it may just be one thing. It may just be one occurrence in our lives. Something that makes us mad or something that hurts our feelings. Maybe it's a relationship that we got into that we had no business being in the first place. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a habit that we formed. Maybe it was something that we uh, chose to place our faith in that let us down. But whatever the case, something happened and it threw us for a loop. Throws you into the wilderness. Throws you into running from God. Or wandering around in the wilderness wondering where God is to begin with. It throws you into those desert years of your life. Sometimes... You get something unexpected, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the betrayal from someone you trust or something bad that happens at work. It's just something that makes us wander in the desert. And when we have those wandering times in the desert, when we have those times where we feel like we're far from God, it makes us feel like we're a bad Christian, right? makes us feel like we're a bad person, maybe. It makes us feel like something's wrong, With me, I've been looking for God and I've been hoping to hear his voice, but I just can't find him anywhere. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's God's fault. And we look for someone to blame. And I just want to let you know, Christian, I want to let you know, person, you're not alone in this. Everybody struggles with these issues. Everybody struggles with desert wandering times in our lives. Everybody struggles with this. In fact, today we're going to open our Bibles. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of First Kings. And we're going to look at the story of a guy who is known to be not just a prophet of God, but he's the most famous prophet of God. We're going to look at the story of Elijah just a little bit. And we're going to see how this faithful, obedient, godly man finds himself in the desert. 
In fact, when we pick up his story today, here's where we find him. We find him having run for his life, scared to death, thinking that he is about to die. He runs through the country to the farthest outpost of a town they have in this country. And then he keeps running out into the desert, out into the wilderness. He's running and running and running. He runs all day long out into the wilderness as far as he can go until he comes to a particular broom tree. It's a broom tree. It's kind of a desert shrub, you know. It's a, it grows to about six or seven feet tall. And it's got branches or it's got kind of a, a trunk-ish kind of thing that sort of comes up. And then it's got these, um, these little uh, needly leaves on top that provide some shade out in the desert. And he's been running and running. And he, he just finally in his exhaustion and in his depression and his discouragement and his fear uh, for his life, he finally collapses at this broom tree. And at the broom tree, Elijah, he prays. This prayer, 1 Kings 19, verse 3. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Can you relate to this? Have you ever been so exhausted, so frustrated, so fearful, so depressed that you prayed for death? A little bit later on in the same passage, he he shares in more detail how he is feeling with God. He shares with God how he's feeling. He says this in verse 10. He says, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. I have been faithful to you. I have poured my life out for you. I have given everything for you all of my life. But the people of Israel... Have broken their covenant with you. I've tried to call them to you God. My job as a prophet is to call people back to you. But it's all for nothing. All that I've done is for nothing. They've broken their covenant. They've torn down your altars. And they've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. All these years of faithfully pouring out his life for seemingly nothing. And so now he's under the broom tree in the desert begging God to kill him. And so the the thing I want us to explore today, the principle I want us to dig into today is the first blank on your page this morning. And it's this, that even the godliest people get knocked down sometimes. Even the godliest people get knocked down sometimes. It's not just you. It's not a 21st century thing. It's not that God is withholding or quiet or somehow not moving today like he moved back then. We're looking at the most famous prophet of Israel in the Old Testament. And he wrestled with the same issue. He got knocked down also and found himself in the wilderness. Because you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. In fact, in fact, here's what we're going to find out today. Just 24 hours before the broom tree, just one day earlier, Elijah was on top of the world. He had experienced that day the greatest success of his entire ministry. All of his life, he had seen God working, and then it all crescendoed up to this huge thing 
just 24 hours earlier. And now one day later after getting something he didn't know he was going to get. He finds himself under the broom tree begging God for death. How do you get there? How do you go from the top to the bottom? How do you move from the, the apex of your life to the lowest pit of your life in 24 hours? How do you do that? That's what I want us to look at today. And I want us to see what God does with us in that situation. But let's pray together first as we get started. God, thank you that you speak. And thank you, Father, that even though we have our times in our lives where we wander in the desert and we feel like we can't hear your voice and we can't find you. I thank you, God, that you still speak. And Lord, I believe there's people here in the room today that feel that they're in the desert. They've probably had their broom tree moment or two. And Lord, they've wondered where you are. And God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts today. God, I pray that you'd speak to my heart today as we, as we open your word and as we look at what you show us. Speak in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so to understand how Elijah got to where he is, you got to know a little bit of the backstory. You got to know a little bit about what's going on. You got to know where he's come from to know how he got to where he is. And I don't have time to read the whole thing, but First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings, they are history books in the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament, like the New Testament, is divided up into different styles of writing. You got, you got history, you got prophecy, you got poetry, you got different things, right? And so these are history books. First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, they chronicle, they, they list out uh, the activities and events that took place in Israel, specifically to the kings and through the kings in Israel. And so we find the stories of Elijah and his ministry in these books. And what you find out in these books is that Israel had had this succession of several kings in a row that were bad news. Okay, they had really, really bad kings. In fact, for several in a row, each king was worse than the last king. They just got progressively worse. Started out with Jehoiakim. He was a bad dude. He was a bad king. And he uh, had taken his uh, rule in Israel uh, to himself. He had made it very selfish. He had kind of hogged and hoarded a lot of the resources to himself. And on top of that, he was taking God's people, the people of Israel, the chosen people, the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. These people, he had taken them and taught them that you should not worship the one true God. You should engage in Baal worship. You should engage in the pagan rituals of the lands around you. And so he had begun to move them from God worship to Baal worship. This was bad news, right? And, and so Jehoiakim was a bad dude. Then Jehoram came along. He was the next king. He was worse and, and created more and more of a culture of Baal worship. Instituted a lot of rituals and practices. He had put Baal priests into place and was building and building this whole Baal worship culture in Israel. 
And then, after Jehoiakim, after Jehoram, then Ahab became king. Ahab is the king of Israel, and Ahab is worse than the other guys, okay? In fact, here's what the Bible says about him in, uh, in 1 Kings 16. Look at this. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. So he built a whole temple, right? A whole big complex for Baal. And then he set up an Asherah pole. So there's two different types of pagan worship. There's Baal worship and there's Asherah worship. And then he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king of Israel before him. So this guy is the worst king in history for Israel. Literally, the Bible says you're the worst king in history. You know you're pretty bad. And so Ahab is trying to get the people to be more and more into Baal worship. And so, as this progression is happening, or this uh, regression is happening, God responds. And the way God responds is He raises up a bunch of prophets to send warnings to the people of Israel that judgment is coming if you don't make your way straight, right? If you don't turn back around and come back to God. Hey, hey, bad stuff is going to happen, so you better turn around. And the stories in, in, in 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings, the stories stories about these prophets and what they say and what they do. There's some crazy junk in these books, okay? I don't know if you've ever read any of this stuff, but there's some crazy stuff. There's, there's someone tries to steal, uh, one of the kings tries to steal a vineyard. I don't know how you steal a vineyard, but he steals a vineyard so he, he can't steal it, so he goes home and pouts, you know? Uh, there's a story in there where, I'm not kidding, um, a bunch of the prophets, uh, God prophets are around, and they're kind of talking amongst themselves, and there's a bunch of Israelites around too, and God speaks to one of the prophets and he says, okay, uh, tell somebody this. So the prophet uh, goes to a, an Israelite and says, hey, um, hit me. Hit, hit, hit me. And of course, the Israelites are like, dude, I'm not going to hit you. And so the prophet says, okay, man, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, I told you to hit me. You disobeyed God's word. So uh, as a warning, as a punishment, uh, as soon as you leave my presence, a lion's going to come out of nowhere and attack you and kill you. <laughs> and so the Israelites, okay, creeper, whatever you say. And he walks away. And sure enough, a lion comes out of nowhere and mauls the guy and eats him right there. And so one of the other prophets turns to a guy next to him and says, okay, hit me. So what does the guy do? He just hauls off and punches him. Okay, whatever you say. I mean, there's some crazy weird stories about some of these guys in the Old Testament. You really ought to be reading your Bible because there's some crazy stuff in there. And Elijah is one of these prophets. He's one of these prophets that God has raised up to be able to tell the people of Israel that judgment is coming. And so there's some crazy, crazy stories about Elijah too. But Elijah's stories are all these crazy, insane, successful, wild stories. Like this, Elijah was a prophet during the time of Jehoiakim, Jehoram, and Ahab. Jehoiakim was the first one that was really, really super bad. And he starts pushing everybody into Baal worship. And so Elijah sends him a letter. And in this letter, he's like, okay, Baal worship bad. God worship good. So stop the Baal worship and start the God worship. And stop dragging my people away from God. Because if you don't do it, God's going to punish you and your family. In fact, here's how he's going to punish you. He will infect you with a terrible intestinal disease and your bowels are going to fall out. 
That's what the letter said. Would you like to receive that? I'd rather get the IRS letter, personally. So he gets this letter, and it says his bowels are going to fall out. And, of course, he's like, all right, that's really strange. And sure enough, he says, let's, let's go worship Baal some more. And so God strikes him with this intestinal disease. And for two years, he has this horrible, painful disease. And after his bowels fall out, he dies, the Bible says, in agony. And nobody gave him a funeral. They were like, okay, with that guy, uh, he was bad and we'll stay away from him. I mean, there's some crazy stuff that happens. And Elijah gets to be part of all this stuff. When he says something, you better listen because that's what happens. And we see this happening all throughout these books. Elijah goes and he speaks into someone's life who doesn't have any food or anything to drink. And all of a sudden they're taken care of with food and drink. A, A child dies and Elijah goes and raises him from the dead. I mean, he sees all these incredible things happen in his life that God just does through him. But yet the country continues to be torn because the kings have put into place this culture of Baal worship. And so God's placed Elijah there to show that God is the one true God, but yet the people keep being torn. And by the time Ahab becomes king, Ahab's built this whole big complex. He's put all these priests into place. He's got Asherah priests and Baal priests. There's over 850 of them. And he puts them all into place. And so there's this big structure of worship of pagan gods in place. And Elijah finally has enough of it all. Because there's a lot of bad stuff going on. I mean, Ahab was the worst. There was corruption in his government. There was murder. There was deception. And in fact, they had had all of the other prophets killed. And Elijah was literally the only prophet of God left. And so he says, I'm done with this. I've seen God do a lot of good things. I'm going to trust God to do one more big thing. And so he goes to Ahab. And Ahab hates Elijah. And he says, what do you want, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, dude, you're the troubler of Israel. You're the one putting all this on us. And so here's what's going to happen. I challenge the gods of your priests. I challenge the Baal gods. I challenge the Asherah gods to a firefight. And here's what we're going to do. We're in Jezreel, the capital right now. But let's go out to the mountain, out to Mount Carmel. It's about 15 miles outside of town. Let's go up there. You can see the ocean from there. Let's stand up on top of that mountain. Here's what we'll do. I challenge y'all to a firefight. Y'all built an altar to your gods, and I'll build an altar to my God. And we'll all say, God, send the fire down and consume the altar. And whichever God sends the fire, that's the real God. How about that? Is that a good test? And the king and the prophets and all the people say, well, it's a fair test. That's pretty fair. Whoever does that, that must be the real God. So they all march up to this mountain. They all get up on the mountain. And and they go through this big procedure where they build a giant altar for the Baals. This big old altar. And they get it all ready. Very complex deal that they go through. And all of the Baal prophets, they start dancing around and chanting and calling to the Baals. Oh, send the fire down, send the fire down. And they go on and on for hours. They go on and on all day long. And nothing happens. Other than the chanting of the Baal priests and the Asherah priests, nothing happens. Now there's 850 of these guys here versus Elijah. (laughs) They've killed all the other prophets, but Elijah, he starts 
making fun of the Baal priests. Ah, your God, where is he at? Maybe he's taking a trip. Maybe he's out taking a nap. Maybe he's doing something else. He's, where is he at? Your God's nothing. And finally, at the end of the day, he's like, dude, enough. Enough of that. Watch this. And he turns to his altar and he goes, God, send the fire. And boom, God sends the fire out of heaven. Fire falls out of heaven and consumes the altar that they had made for God. Unbelievable, unbelievable that this happens. Everybody around, all of the Israelites, most of the nation had come out to watch this. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, God must be the true God of Israel. Yep, that's it. So what did they do? Uh, they all rounded up the 850 priests of the Baals and the Asherahs and they killed them all. They just killed them all. Enough of the ungodliness. We're going to purge the ungodliness from our nation. And we are going to return to God. Oh, it is the accomplishment of Elijah's life. It is his dream come true. The whole reason that God raised him up. The whole reason that God called him. The whole reason that God placed him in Israel. Was to call his people to return to God. Success. Right? So on top of the mountain, they they take the priests down, they slaughter all of them, and then Elijah literally runs back to the capital city. He runs back to Jezreel. I mean, he hikes up his little robe, and he runs the 15 miles, and he beats everybody back to Jezreel. And he stands just outside the city gate. And as people are coming in, he's high-fiving them, he's shaking hands, he's blessing people, he's hugging mamas and kissing babies, right? He's got a big banner over the top that says mission accomplished and he's very excited because he has seen God win here's the next blank on your page Elijah stood on the cusp of complete victory he stood on the cusp of complete victory before he gets this message he's thinking to himself I have won now all that has to happen from this point on is that we have to overthrow the king and his evil wife Jezebel we have to kick them out of the palace and we have to anoint a new king who's finally after all these years going to be a godly king and is going to lead us to worship the one true God we are almost there He's on the cusp of complete victory. But that's when the messenger arrived. And this is the message he received. 1 Kings 19 verse 2. It says, So Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, sent this message to Elijah. May the gods, not your God, my gods, the gods of the Baals and the Asherahs, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Well, this is not the news he expected to hear. I mean, he's standing there at the city gate when he receives this message. And, and he's, he's part of the parade as everybody's coming back into town after this great victory. But now he gets this note from this crazy lady. The wife of the evil king that says, I'm going to kill you before tomorrow. It's not the news he expected to hear. And so the... The next two verses, verses 3 and 4, this is what it says. Elijah was afraid. After all he had seen, he was afraid. After standing and staring down the 850 prophets of the Baals, after all of his other colleagues had been killed, 
After seeing God work miracle after miracle, Elijah was afraid. And he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. This is the town that's on the edge of civilization as they know it just about. And he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. After all that he had seen, after being on the cusp of total victory, he goes now to this. From one day to the next, this. What happened? And I want to say it's simple. What happened is simple. Next blank on your page. Elijah's tank ran dry. Elijah's tank ran dry. A couple of years ago, my family and I, we were on a trip. We were going to go camping at the beach. So we were pulling our pop-up, and we were going to go down to uh, South Carolina, to the beach down there. So we cruised down 75. You know, we left right after church. I made sure we were all gassed up first thing in the morning, everything all packed in, ready to go, camper on the back of the truck. And so we pull on out of here after church, driving down 75, get all the way down to Macon, turn left, and we get on Interstate 16, heading east. Long, lonely Interstate 16. And it's not until we're about 25, 30 miles down Interstate 16, and there's nothing for miles and miles around that I realize, oh, my truck sucks down a lot more gas when I'm pulling this camper. Because I look down at the gas gauge, and it's like my microphone batteries just were a minute ago. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's running on fumes. I'm like, oh, holy cow. I mean, we're looking on the maps on our phones to try to figure out where's the next gas station. I mean, it's miles away. And you know, here's the thing about your gas tank. As long as your gas tank has gas in it, your, your, your truck's going to continue to run. But it only takes that one extra mile. Once you use that last drop of gas, what do you do? You stop. You just stop. You're on the side of the road, broke down, and you're, you can't go anywhere. You're helpless, Right? And I think for Elijah, what had happened is he had seen victory after victory after victory in his life. He had poured himself out, like he said to God. He had poured himself out over and over and over again. And, and he had gotten so much in life. So many good things had happened after all this fighting and this strife and this struggle. But then it just took this one thing, this last mile that wasn't what he expected to get. And he looked... And his gas tank was empty. Had nothing to rely on. And so it terrified him. And he ran. After all that he had seen, he ran. And exhausted, he falls down under the broom tree. He had a wilderness moment. You've been there, haven't you? You've been pressing on toward the goal. You've been running hard after it. And no matter how hard you run, no matter how hard you push, no no matter how tough you make yourself to get to the goal, it seems like the goal keeps getting farther and farther away. Or she left and never came back. And you've prayed, God, what? 
what, what did I do? Why, why are you letting this happen to me? I, I felt like you were calling me to marry her and now she's gone and apparently happier. And I'm here all alone. Or maybe it wasn't a letter from the IRS. Maybe it was a diagnosis from the doctor. And you thought you had beaten it. But it's back. And you just don't know how to deal with it. And you're asking God, I've served you. I've poured myself out for you. I've, I've done everything I thought I was supposed to do, God. And I, I've had enough. I've had enough. And you collapse under the broom tree, begging for death. But for Elijah, that is when the second messenger arrived in his life. See, there's two messengers in his story. The one that delivers the one thing he didn't think he would get, the bad news. But then the next messenger comes. The second messenger comes and it's interesting what the messenger doesn't say. See, this messenger is a messenger from God, an angel. May even be the pre-incarnate Christ. He shows up to Elijah at the broom tree because Elijah's been praying and begging God for death. Finally, Elijah, in his exhaustion, he falls asleep. But the angel comes and he speaks to Elijah. And what he doesn't say is really important. He doesn't say, Elijah, Elijah, buddy, you've got more work to do. You better, you better suck it up. You need to work harder. You haven't been listening to God enough. Elijah, when was the last time you spent quality time with the Lord? Have you been having your quiet time? How, how often have you been in church lately, Elijah? Have you been in church? Elijah, there's probably sin in your life that you need to confess and get right with God. The angel doesn't say these things. Are these things true? Yeah, they're probably true. He probably needs to spend more time with God. He probably ought to be a better listener. He probably ought to be in church. He probably ought to be confessing sin. Sure, they're true, but that's not the message from God. Let me tell you something, people. What we tend to do in church world is we tend to get right up in the face of the person who's hurting the most and blame them for their own pain. And we say, the reason you're going through what you're going through is because you are a sinner and you need to get better. And that's not the spirit of God talking. That's the spirit of religion talking. The spirit of religion blames the victim. The spirit of religion says that you've got to be better. You've got to do more. You've got to work harder. But here's what the messenger of God says. 1 Kings 19, 5 through 7, it says, As Elijah was sleeping, an angel touched him. Touched him. Didn't get up in his face. Didn't accuse. We know who accuses. But touched him. And told him, get up and eat. Get up and eat. Elijah, he looks around. And there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. 
You see, under the broom tree, the angel of God meets Elijah right where he is the most exhausted. And he says, there's bread here for you. Eat. There's water here for you. Drink. He says, I know what you're going through. I I know what you have to do. I know there's a road ahead of you. But instead of accusing, instead of blaming, he nourishes. He takes that broom tree that started out being a place of exhaustion and frustration and despair. And he turns it into a tree of renewal and restoration. He says, eat and drink. He doesn't say, hey, get up and work this combination of good godly things to do and then you'll hear from God again. In other words, next blank on your page, God is not another relationship that you have to manage. God is not another relationship that you have to manage. He's not another item on your calendar. He's not another meeting that you have to schedule. He's not like the finance company to where if you get behind by a few quiet times, he's going to repossess all your blessings. That's not what God does. God meets you under the broom tree and he says, let me nourish your soul. Let me feed you. Let me give you water, living water to drink. The spirit of the Lord doesn't say do better. The spirit of the Lord says, Matthew 18, come to me, all of you who are weary And carry heavy burdens. And I will give you not rest. I'm sorry, not accusation, but rest. Not blame, but rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's what God does. Yeah, 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 yeah. You need to be having your quiet time. I need to be having my quiet time. Yeah, you need to be reading your Bible. So do I. Yeah, you need to be confessing sin. Me too. But God doesn't come and accuse you of falling short in your relationship and getting behind on your payments somehow. God says, I'll meet you where you are because I have living water and bread for you. So my invitation to you this morning is to come under the tree come under the tree let the tree be a nice cool place of refuge from the sweltering hot desert sun come under the tree stop wandering in the wilderness go where the nourishment the refreshment the renewal is Stop wondering and wandering and running. You say, how do I do that? If, I'm not, if, if it's not in having quiet times or confessing, which it is, but that's not the method I, I believe God wants for us. Come under the tree. He just wants us to come under the tree. The way that that works for us in the New Testament, in the church, it means to get under the covering. Be part of the body of Christ. So many of us like to wander around the outside of the shade of the broom tree and look in just a little bit. 
We like to see what's going on. We like to come and, and attend on Sunday mornings and watch and listen and see a little glimpse of what the broom tree really ought to be about. But where the covering really is, is in our community. It's in our life groups. It's when we get together and listen to each other and encourage each other. We dig into God's word together. We confess our sins to each other. We grow together. We come under that covering of the body of Christ together. You can continue to wander if that's what you choose, but there is renewal for you. If you're here today and you have never been part of this community, part of this life, being involved in life groups, I just want to encourage you. Go back to the information desk after the service is over and ask, how can I get involved in a life group? And we'll show you. Here's all our life groups. We've got some that meet at nighttime, some that meet in the daytime, some on Tuesday, some on Thursday, some on Wednesday. We got them for you. Just come. Next week, not not this week, but next week in our life groups, not this week, but next week, um, we're going to break bread together. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper together in our life groups next week. So it'll be a great time to come and experience that renewal and that restoration. If you've never been involved, I'm begging you to get involved in life groups. Psalm 91 says, For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life And give them my salvation. I love that he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. We love the word angels. And we love to think about and talk about angels. But you know the word for angel means messenger. The word for angel is messenger. In the New Testament, a lot of those New Testament letters are written to the angel at the church of... If you read it in an older translation, if you read it in a slightly newer translation, it'll say to the messenger of the church of. And if you read it in a more modern translation, it'll say to the pastor of. But I'm here to tell you that inside and under the broom tree, that's where you're going to find the angels that God sends. The messengers of God are meeting this week in homes. And they're waiting to nourish you. You may be here this morning and maybe you're just here because you've got a family member who's got a child that was dedicated today. Or maybe you're just here because somebody's invited you over and over again. But you've never come under the tree at all because you've never come into a relationship with God to begin with. And let me just tell you that the only way to get really under the tree is to come in through the person of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that all of us are sinners and doomed to wander in the desert under the hot, sweltering sun. But Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want to come under the tree, if you want to be renewed and restored, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. 
I just want to invite you today, if, if that's you, you've been wandering, you've been trying to make it work, you've been trying to burn the candle at both ends, piece it all together, make it all happen yourself, stop and let him work in you and through you. He wants to change you. He wants to love you. He wants to transform you into his image. So I'm going to invite everyone to bow with me right here, and we'll get to that last blank in a little bit. But if you'd bow your heads with me and while we're praying, I'm going to invite believers to be praying for anyone in the room that's a non-believer. But if you're here today and, and you, maybe you think that you've been a good church person all your life, but you've just never taken that step of surrender, surrendering your life to God and saying, God, I've had enough of my own life. And you're willing to die to yourself and live for him. His arms are open. Jesus has already paid the price for all of your sins. There's no punishment awaiting you because Jesus has already taken it all. And he welcomes you into a new life. If you'd like to receive this life, I just invite you to pray a simple prayer after me. It's an easy prayer. It's not a magic prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It just articulates the condition of your heart. It's a prayer of repentance and faith. If you'd like to surrender your life to him today, pray this simple prayer after me. It goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. God, I don't want to live that way anymore. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you that he paid the price for all of my sins. And God, as best as I know how, I give them all up to you. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to trust you from this day forward. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.